Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church, Goodyear, Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. Great to see you guys. If you have a Bible, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17 is where we're going to start. So grab your phone. Um, if you brought an old paper Bible, if you brought a scroll, you know, whatever, you can find any way you want to read the Bible, you can. But as you're turning to that passage, which is in the back of your Bible towards the back in the New Testament, I want to read to you from what is perhaps probably the most profound book. This one of the books that's changed my life. And it's called The Stinky Cheese Man. Yeah, and other fairly stupid tales. I love this book. Um, I've had this thing for uh, all of my adult life, actually, and uh, it's, a, it's an amazing book. But anyway, um, so I want to read you a little fairy tale, and this book, this is a very profound story. It's really going to warm your heart, and it's going to elevate your spirit. It's called The Really Ugly Duckling, and it goes like this. Once upon a time, there was a mother duck and a father duck who had seven baby ducklings. Six of them were regular-looking ducklings. The seventh was a really ugly duckling. Everyone used to say, what a nice-looking bunch of ducklings, all except that one. Boy, he's really ugly. The really ugly duckling heard these people, but he didn't care. He knew that one day he would probably grow up to be a swan and be bigger and look better than anything in the pond. Well, as it turned out, he was just a really ugly duckling, and he grew up to be just a really ugly duck. The end. I love that book. I love that story. And they have, no, they have great stories, too. They have one of the frog prints, but um, I don't have time to read that one, but maybe later on, maybe if you come next week, we'll read the frog prince story, because that one is even funnier in some ways to me. But, you know, the funny, it's a funny story, but it kind of stings you a little bit, right? Because here's this little duck, and he has all these dreams, and he wants to become this great. He imagines himself, despite all the barriers in life, he's going to grow up and be this great, wonderful duck, and then he grows up, and it's just like, nah, you're just an ugly duck. And it's like, oh, all the dreams were shattered. And, and while it's a funny story, it kind of stings you a little bit, because that's sometimes how life can be, right? In fact, um, the great Christian philosopher Dallas Willard said, and in one of his writings, he said, most people are deeply disappointed with the outcome of their lives. Henry David Thoreau said in his book, Walden, he said that most people live their lives in quiet desperation. That there is this idea that there's something wrong with us, that we are disappointed with how things have gone, that we had these great dreams and we don't know how to get to where we want to be. We want to have meaning in our lives. We, we want to be at the center of what we're supposed to do, but how do you know? Especially when our lives can be marked by so many regrets and we wonder, have we missed the will of God? But I don't think that's what God wants for us. I believe that God wants us to see our lives as epic adventures, you know, as great battles against good uh, prevailing over evil, right? Good against evil where the underdog comes back and beats the odds, and every life is a story that's written by the hand of God, and every life has eternal value. And yet it's so easy to give up on that idea, especially when we can look at our present circumstances and see that we're not getting anywhere. In fact, it becomes nearly impossible to see any meaning beyond just getting through the day. 
But that's where this passage comes into play because there's something wonderfully unique about the path that God has put you on. Something amazing and new and different. Your life is unlike any other. Your experiences, your um, makeup, your wiring, your DNA, all of that stuff, your history, where you've been placed on the earth with the people around you. There's no story like yours. There's no story like the story that God is writing with your life. And the question that you and I have is that do we have the faith to relentlessly follow the path God has mapped out for us? And I would say, do you have the faith to follow the path God has mapped out for you? Because it's your path. It's not mine. And when we compare ourselves to people and wish we were living someone else's life, we're always on the wrong side in our thinking at that point. As we've said here before, what people often do and what you should not do is you should not compare your behind-the-scenes footage to someone else's highlight reel. And social media is wonderful at helping us do that. Because you only put the best picture out of the six that you take in a given moment for everyone to see. And then you go back to yelling at your kids or whatever it is, right? Because that's what we do. But we, so we look at people's lives and we go, well, I wish I had their life. What's wrong with my life? And God, what are you doing with me? And so in our passage today, we're going to be challenged to live the life that God has called us to. So let's read this and see what it has to say to us. And as we read it, I want you to notice how many times he says, remain in the condition that you were called. So when God calls you, there are certain things about your past that you maybe can or can't change. But you're to continue in the path that he's called you to, and we'll talk about kind of what that means. So let's read this, and then we'll see where it goes. This is what he says. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Very interesting language, you see. This is my rule in all the churches. So this is a big deal. He's in all the churches I've said, lead the life that God has called you to lead based on where you are, whether you're single or married or if you've been divorced, if you've been through difficulty. God can deal with all that stuff in your past. You keep going on the path that he has put you on. Was anyone, and this is where he gets into some interesting um, um, circumstances. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about that. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. There's a lot that we could say about this, but I want to give you several principles that kind of are kind of overarching principles of this that I think really help us unpack what God's trying to say to us. And the first one I would say to you is this. In the story of my life, God is the hero. In the story of my life, in your life, God is the hero, not you and not me. And the reason why this is important is because he starts off by talking about circumcision. That's an interesting way to go, but why is he talking about that? Because circumcision has to do with identifying yourself, particularly with being an Israelite. 
And undoubtedly, there were people who were so excited about their newfound faith when they become Christians that they would say, hey, I'm so passionate about this that I, I want to become Jewish. I, I want to I go all the way back just before Christ and, and identify myself with the whole Old Testament and everything. And, and Paul's like, no, you, you don't want to do that, actually. Um, and when it comes to circumcision, like, it's okay. If you're a Gentile, stay a Gentile. If you are not circumcised in the first eight days of your life, you do not want to do it now right? Just be cool, all right? I appreciate your zealous, you know, passionate faith, but you're okay just as you are because God can use you in that state as a Gentile. You don't need to become a Jew because you you don't need to prove anything because, again, God is the hero of your story. He takes your past. He takes how he's wired you, all these things. You trust him for where you are in life. And in the same way, Undoubtedly, there were others of a Jewish background that were so excited about their freedom in Christ that they wanted nothing to do with the law and the whole background they were raised in. They're like, I don't need all this old tradition. And so he talks about the fact, he says, listen, some of you guys, you know, you're like, you realize I didn't need to be circumcised. Don't seek to undo the marks of circumcision. Now, I don't know how in the world you do that, (laughs) right? I don't know what they were thinking there because there's just some things that when you do them, you cannot undo them. And this would be one of them, right? I'd never heard of that in all of my life. But anyway, he mentions this, and he could just be almost be kind of making a joke at this point or going to extremes and say, you can't change some of the things that have happened to you in your life. Once they're done, they're done. It's like this guy. Have you heard about this guy? He's like, they call him the human Ken doll. It's this guy has spent like, he's like 50 surgeries on his face. He spent hundreds of thousands of dollars altering his face so he could look like Ken from Ken and Barbie. And he's a really interesting guy. He looks like a cartoon character. He has this big head and everything, and it's really bizarre. Well, now the news has come out and said that he's done being Ken. Now he wants to get surgeries to look like Barbie. Okay, you're going, what in the world? Now, if a guy like that, what Paul would want to say to a guy like that were he to become a Christian and go to the Corinthian churches, he'd say, look, just stay as Ken. Okay, don't get any more surgeries. Don't undo what you, just stay as you are. God can use you, you know. You could be a camp speaker or something. The kids would love you. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. You could, you could be useful for the kingdom of God, but just stop altering yourself. You can't undo some of the things that you've done. And this is where I actually think it gets very interesting. In this passage of scripture, this concept of remaining as you are and, and letting God be the hero of your story and realizing that there's some things that he knows about your past that you've done that you can't change, this is going to be very interesting as we continue to move into the future and we get better and better at our medical technology and then further and further away from any any type of of Judeo-Christian understanding of who we are as a people. Because there's going to be people who make very tragic choices with their bodies. And there are people now, more than ever, who are undergoing surgeries to become transgendered. We showed you the video um, months back, you remember, of this guy whose name is Diamond D. Remember this video we showed you? Here's a guy who was was born as a man. And, and then he went and became transgendered and, and did the whole sex change surgery and all that stuff. And he dressed up like a woman and everything else. And then what happened was he got to the bottom of his life and he surrendered his life to Jesus. And he woke up one day and he said, what am I doing? What have I done? And so he's on the video now and, and, and he's, you know, he got his, I mean, just candidly, he got his boob job undone. He got those things taken out um, and he stops dressing like a woman, but he got his male parts, you know, kind of removed and he can't really do anything about that. I mean, he's stuck. It's like, it's over. You can't, like, you can't mutilate yourself anymore. 
And so now he's in, he, if you talk to him or if you hear his, his testimony, he just says, I don't understand. When I was going through all this stuff, all of my friends, they were like, yeah, it feels good, do it. If you want to do it, go ahead. Because the, the wonderful, great commandment of our culture is, um, as long as you don't tell anybody it's wrong, um, that's, that's the greatest thing you can do is just tell someone to follow their heart. He goes, well, that's what my friends did. They're not very good friends. And so now here I am. But what happened was God rescued him from all that. And, and, and if you hear his testimony, he's, he loves Jesus. But, he, but he's still, he's, he's going to have to, he's glorifying God as best as he can as a recovering transgendered person. And it's messy. It's messy. He, he, to this day, he says he struggles with which bathroom to go in because of just the practical considerations of how he's got his plumbing done. What do you do? What do you do? But I will tell you this, the, here's the important part about this, is that as we continue to move into the future, we have a God who's crazy about us, who loves us, and who has the power to transform anybody. And if you have a pulse, and you're still, your heart is still beating, then it's not too late for you, no matter what you've done. And that's the good news. That's the message of the gospel. And that's why if there's one person in your life right now that you can think of that because of their actions, you, you think that person is beyond the hope of God, beyond the pale, so to speak. In fact, that phrase beyond the pale comes from an old African custom where at night the, the, the people in the tribe would gather around the light and those people who rejected from the tribe would be cast away from the light. And so they'd be called beyond the pale. And if you think there's people like that in your, heart, in your life that you know, then you don't understand the gospel. And you don't understand the extent of God's love and God's power. And the fact of the matter is, as we continue on into a world that is doing more and more crazy stuff in the, in the, because they can, because they can, because of medical technology and everything else, and because of acceptance of society, there's going to be a lot of messy situations. There's going to be family situations and same-sex situations that are going to be very messy when people, when people find Christ and they want to start pleasing God. And that's why it's so important. You know, you guys have these connection group questions in your program. And the reason that we do is so you can, we can come together because these big decisions and we walk through life together, we do these things in a group. We do these things with each other. And we're gonna have to be people that continually love those that God has rescued. And, and remember that they're not the hero of their own story because you're not the hero of your own story. God is the hero of your story. And the further out someone is, the more amazing that rescue is, right? And the more powerful that God becomes. And so what Paul is trying to say is, look, you, you have a path that you walked and your past is not, is not lost on God. When you were really far from God long ago and you're like, God, I made these terrible decisions. I'm sorry. God goes, I know. I can still use that. I can still redeem that. And that's so important for us to understand. And so this is serious business for us because in your story, God is the hero. Now, there are practical considerations as well. You know, you talk about this and we talk about getting things done and undone. I would say if, you know, if you, if you have a big giant swastika tattooed on your back and you become a Christian, it might be a good idea, you know, to get a little crowdfund going or something and raise some money to get that thing turned into like a checkerboard or a cross or something, right? Just for your own personal safety and, and for what you're communicating to other people around you. I remember at my, the church that, that I started in Mesa, we had a guy who showed up big, giant tall guy and he showed up at church and he found Christ he became a Christian but when the first day he showed up he was a bald guy and he had F.U. tattooed on the back of his head it's really interesting you know it's, it's a great way to greet people that are sitting behind you you know and uh and and it was but but when when he became a Christian he got to the point he's like you know I got to take care of this and you know when you have it on you for a while and 
it's not right in front of you, you kind of forget about it. But he said, I got to get this taken care of. I was like, what do you do? You know, you could change it to good luck to you. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> something like that. Or just make a big square. I don't know what you do. But, but, but he, because he wanted to change his life at that point. And there's things that you can do, but there's some things that you can't do, and God knows that. And that's why Paul's saying, remain as you are, because the point is not for you to get everything perfectly straightened out. It's okay to be messy, because God's the hero of your story. He's the one that rescues you, and your testimony is powerful, and your path is powerful, and your experiences are powerful, and no one can testify to the goodness of God quite like you can with your individual story. And that's really the point of our lives. Look what he says in verse 19, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. And I love that because understand, circumcision was seen as a commandment of God to keep. And he goes, no, no, no. Whether you get circumcised or not, that's not what's important. What's important is keeping the commandments. That doesn't mean that I I work my way to heaven because that's what people thought circumcision was. Keeping the commandments of God means obedience, means faith in the situation that you're in without trying to get all the, the exterior trappings correct. And that's the second point. Obedience to God is the essence of my story. The rest is details. Obedience to God, that's where the drama happens. That's where the epic adventure lies for you. Everything else is, is details. You can't change the past, but you have to trust that God was there even when you were making your, your most foolish decisions. And that is part of the story of the redemption of your life. And so when he comes, he says in verse 20, he says, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Now this is where it gets a little controversial. He says, were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You are bought with a Christ. Do not become bondservants of men. And then he repeats it again. Let them remain, let, let him remain with God. Now this is controversial because we're talking about people, um, when we say bondservant, in the, Greek, in the Greek it's the word doulos, which basically means slave. And slavery is a loaded term in our culture. But we have to remember culturally where he was. And people have used passages like this to just to say the Bible justifies slavery or promotes slavery or condones it or is okay with it. Which again, if somebody says that, please understand, don't be mean to them, but they're an ignorant person. They're just an ignorant person. They don't know what they're talking about. And, and, they're, and they're really using it as a tactic to reject all that the Bible says. Because back then, the, the type of slavery or bond service was different than the type of slavery we are accustomed to and understand that really was a, uh, a very black eye on our country. That was a horrible stain on our reputation as a nation that's supposed to be about freedom and, the, and, and, the, and individual rights and life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness and all those things and we restricted a whole group of people from that for a long period of time and we paid for it dearly as a country. Our country split into two and hundreds of thousands, brother against brother, shed blood that flowed for miles because of this, this ill in our society that we had to purge ourselves from if we were ever to have any future. And we're still dealing with the consequences of it today. But understand that back then, it wasn't, it wasn't quite like that. Were this, was there mistreatment of people? Of course there was mistreatment of people. But a lot of times these arrangements were much more voluntary. But you know, you, in other words, you might have been a poor person with no real future because of the way society was and you could go to a, a, a wealthy person who was a manager or, or had a owned a farm or whatever else and you could put yourself into service of that person 
and you'd be kind of basically like an indentured servant, like that you'd be owned by that person. But a lot of times people could live in relative peace and safety because they would be under the, 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 the um, protection of this particular guy. And that's a lot of times how it would work. Now, again, was there mistreatment? Sure, there was mistreatment, but a lot of times there wasn't mistreatment. And a lot of times that was a preferable situation than being out on your own. Okay, so what he's trying to say here is he's saying, look, because now, now, now these people who are, who are bond servants become Christians and they all of a sudden realize their sins are forgiven and all these transformational things are happening and they might have been tempted to think, man, but look at my life though. I'm, not, I, I'm, I'm free in Christ, but I'm not free in, in the world. And Paul's saying, I get that, but, but you, you're, um, it's a bummer that you're free, that you're not free in the world, but you're still free in Christ. And there's a huge point I want to get to, but understand, he does very clearly make the point. If you can avail yourself of freedom, if you can get that opportunity to do it, take it. It's right there in the scripture. If you can get free, get free. I mean, what, what are we, you know, so the idea that the Bible somehow condones this slavery is ridiculous. It says it right here. But at the same time, he says there's some situations you can't get out of, so what are you going to do? Well, the only thing you can do is realize that you have freedom in Christ. And there's a huge principle here. It's not what you do. It's what you do with what you do. Because here's the reality. A lot of us, none of us are, are, are technically slaves today, right? Or, or bond servants. But sometimes you can kind of feel like one, right? You can kind of feel like you're at your job and you're like, man, I am stuck. I am stuck here. I got a horrible boss. And yeah, you could leave, but when you really look at it, you really can't because you got bills to pay. You got your kids in school. You, they need stuff. You know, you, you got all these responsibilities and you're, you're looking at a skill set that maybe is not as, as, as diverse as you'd like it to be. So you've got limitations in your job and, you, and it is very normal and human. Of course, you're not a slave, but the principle is still the same that you feel stuck in your life and you feel like your life is meaningless because you're not doing what you'd hope to be doing at this point. And that is a very, very common thing. And it can be difficult for people who are made the image of God and were made to suck up all the eternity has to offer and here you are working nine to five Monday to Friday out here in the desert sitting in traffic and you're like I know I'm made for so much more and these people are dealing with the same thing and Paul says understand you may be you may you may be a slave and at times here we may feel like we are stuck but you're free in Christ and here's the important thing you have an opportunity to do more good for eternity by how you do your job than the actual job that you have. And that is huge. How you, the, the character qualities that you display, how you, how hard you work, your, your honesty, your integrity, the way that you treat the people around you it can have more impact for all of eternity than someone who has the job you wish you had and does it godlessly and does it without integrity and does it without any real care or concern for the kind of person that they are or how other people around them are going to be affected by their decisions. And that's what Paul is trying to say. The kingdom of God resides in here. The rule of God. You don't live under the rule of man. You're a bondservant of Christ. You live under the rule of God. And he is the one who promotes you. He is the one who makes you effective and you work for him, not these other people. That's really, really important, you guys. Because it's hard because you might say, God, what am I doing here? I feel like I'm so stuck. I feel like I'm trapped. And if you are, you wouldn't be the first one to feel like that. Your job right now is to say, God, you're the hero of my story and I'm going to continue to be somebody who works as though I'm working for you. 
Now here again, you can't ignore the fact that he says if you can gain your freedom, then take that opportunity, right? If you can gain freedom, take the opportunity to get it. So when I was, uh, my first job, I, was, uh, I worked at Pizza Hut for my first job back in when I was 16, and it was back when they had the sit-down restaurants, you know? Um, this is way a long time ago. So it wasn't just the takeout thing, but you could actually have a salad bar, and you'd sit there, they had booths and everything, and you know, you take your whole family there, and they may even have like a little Pac-Man thing or whatever. So, uh, you know, it was like back in the day. And I worked there, and I wasn't even good enough to be the, a server, so I had to be in the back. I was a dishwasher, so I washed dishes and everything else, and did that for a little while. And then I got a job, because um, my neighbor had started a company, like a shipping and receiving company, so I started working for him. And I, and I worked there for four years through high school and through half of college, part-time. And, and what, what I, I loved that job because it was, it, we didn't have to think very much. It was just all about work, right? It was all about, you know, packing boxes and, you know, and it was very clear. You could see who the lazy people were and who the hardworking people were. And, and people knew, you know, and you, you, it was a bunch of dudes in the, in the back. There was no customer service. It was all just a bunch of guys in the warehouse. And, and you knew who the hardworking guys were and who the lazy people were. And it was just so, there was so much clarity. And, and, I, and, I, and I enjoyed that job, but I knew in my heart that I wanted wanted to do more. So I went to, so I finished college. And then when I finished college, I realized, you know what? I actually want to have a job like this. And so I realized I got to go to more college. So I went to more college. And I got done with that. And then when I got done with that, I got a job like this. And then I realized I still didn't know what I was doing. So I went back and got even more college. And I was like, well, I was going to go to school forever, you know? And, and I remember, I mean, there were times in life where I was just like, man, I am not getting anywhere. But I knew that, that I didn't want to be somebody that, I, I wanted to actually earn whatever I, I could in terms of like, I wanted to earn to, to my, my way through, you know? And the chair that I wanted to avail myself of the opportunity of freedom and self-reliance. And I remember just like, it took forever to get through grad school, it took forever, because I lived in LA, and um, we, I had to drive across Los Angeles to get to grad I just drove 63 miles one way to get to grad school, uh, twice a week, I had a full-time job, I was married, and, and in case you didn't know, LA has something called a traffic problem. <laughs> and I just remember sitting in my truck, just like, I just, I mean, if you add it up all the time, like I'd say how many time, how much time you sleep in your life and how much time you go to the bathroom in your life. I mean, how much time I sat on an LA freeway in my life, I don't even want to know. But I did it so I can get it done. And I think what's, 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 what's hard is, is we have right now in our society, we have a culture of victimization. Now understand, these guys back then that Paul was talking to, they really were victims in a sense that they were in a society that would not let them advance because of who they were. They could not, there was no option whatsoever. And yet not one time does Paul ever say, hey, you guys, you got to realize you're just a bunch of victims and you've, you've you got a raw deal by the world. He, it's never anywhere in scripture to feel sorry for themselves or to, to, to take on that moniker of a victim. He never says that. He says, where you are, you need to start with where you are and move forward as best you can and trust God with the outcome of your life. And the problem is we live, we have a, the freest society in the history of the world. Not the freest society that ever could be, but the freest one that's ever been. There's none freer, and yet we have a growing number of people walking around feeling like the cards are stacked against them. And I'm going to tell you something. In this church, if you feel like the cards are stacked against you, then the cards will be stacked against you. Now, are you going to have enemies in life? Are you going to have people that don't want to hire you because of your race, or because of your gender, or because you're too short, or you're too tall, or they don't like your voice, or they don't like the way you smell, or they don't like the fact that you don't like football, or you cheer for the wrong team, or you just have annoying habits? Of course, it's the world. This is a broken, messed up world. There will be people who do not like you and try to push you back. 
But you and I have this amazing opportunity that these people would have begged for and given everything for, which is the ability to actually move forward. And you can, if you don't want to be where you are, you can, you can get out of that eventually if you put yourself into a place where you say, I'm not going to be a victim, I'm going to move forward aggressively. And you overcome it by persistence. Dr. Jordan Peterson, who I've loved listening to this guy, he talks so brilliantly about this in his, his appeal, especially to young men who so often are spending time playing you know, video games in their parents' basements all throughout their 20s and wasting so much of their lives. And yet they want power. Young men want power. Young men want, they want to have all the bling, right? They want to have the women and they want to have respect and everything else. And he speaks perfectly and brilliantly into that whole mentality. In his podcast on the art of manliness, he distinguishes between power and competence. And I love this quote. He says, power is the tactic used by the incompetent to gain status. Competence is the tool used by the morally oriented to accrue authority and do good things in the world. He says, so he says his, his, his call to, to young men especially is become competent in something. Learn how to do something and society will reward you with authority. They will put you in charge. They will, they will, give, you, they, they will give you money. They will give you responsibility because they believe that you can do it. Don't just walk around expecting people to give you stuff. Become competent in something. This is why I love the Air Force so much. I was back there uh, earlier this week for a couple days. We had to do uh, chem gear training. We know, and you, some of you guys have been through that if you're in the military. You got to put the gas mask on and the big heavy coat and the pants and the gloves and all that stuff. And so we had to do this whole thing and they had to make sure we had our masks fit right and we know how to, you know, use them so if you put them on, you don't mess up and everything. And so we were going through this. And, and, and here are these young early 20s, if, if that, I mean, probably early 20s, men and women of all different races and, and stripes, right, with just a, a few little stripes on there. I mean, maybe senior airmen, just young in their career, and they're teaching all of us how to do this. And I was so impressed by their professionalism. I was so impressed by their competence. I was so impressed by how well they did their job. And these are people who don't walk around going, oh, you know, woe is me, and I'm just stuck, and I got nothing. These are people who went out and fought for it, because just as Paul says, if you have the ability to get free, then get free. And I love that. And I guess the reason I'm speaking so passionately about this is because I see a world that is, that is, that is basically, I see people in our country that are basically kicking that idea to the curb like there's no opportunity. And I see it every single time I go to the Air Force. I'm amazed by the people who I'm sure many in their own family are probably stuck in a cycle of poverty and they've somehow been able to get out of it and have a sense of honor in what they do and it's beautiful. There's always gonna be inequities in life and sometimes, yes, I will agree. And I'll tell you, just for me, I've been in this church for 10 years. And 10 years is is not a short amount of time. And, And I'll tell you, throughout 10 years, have there been times that I've been frustrated about my place in life? Yeah. My own, I mean, I'm a guy, so it's natural to have ambition. It's natural to want to see things always go up and to the right. You just do, right, guys? You want to, you know, I want my bank account going up. I want my, I want my, the things I'm doing to be, I want the stuff I plant to come up, right? You want to, you want to try things and be successful? And there's, just ask my wife. There's been times I thought, honey, I don't know what, I don't get it. I preach, I feel like nobody, you know, like, do they even care? You know, I mean, I've gone through that. Like, am, am I in the right job? Do I just suck at this? Like, why, does it, why do we try and then this isn't working as fast as I'd want it to? That's me, man. I deal with that. And I go, well, well you know, what is my, I've been to all the schooling and all the, what, what do I do, you know? And I've been frustrated with my life at times. And that's a tough place to be. 
But God's gotta be the hero of my story. And, and I don't have all the answers. I don't know where all this is gonna lead. I don't know the outcome. All you're given is a little bit of light. You're not given three miles. We know I was driving through the desert the other night and I'm like, your headlights don't give you 10 miles ahead. They give you maybe 100 feet ahead so you can just see what's in front of you. That's the, that's the walk, that's the journey with Jesus, guys. If you saw 10 miles ahead, you'd lose perspective. Don't worry about 10 miles ahead. You worry about 300 feet ahead. And don't hit the thing that's coming out in front of you. God will give you enough light for that, but he doesn't give you much more than that because he wants you to trust him for what's ahead in the darkness. Even in the Middle Ages when Islam dominated the Middle East and was called the golden age of Islam, and I had been, mean no disrespect to our, our Muslim brothers and sisters, but what, what is often overlooked, and Rodney Stark points this out, is, is the Christians and the Jews that were living in subjugation under that rule and how it was really them that elevated that society and that when they were conquered, they, they really a lot of these things that were going on already. And so this guy, this, this is uh, Rodney Stark talks about this in his book, God's Battalions. He says the Christians... Uh, in Palestine, under Muslim rule, according to the monumental history by Moshe Gil, the Christians had immense influence and positions of power, chiefly because of the gifted administrators among them who occupied government posts, despite the ban in Muslim law against employing Christians in such positions, or who were part of the intelligentsia of the period, owing to the fact that they were outstanding scientists, mathematicians, and physicians, and so on. What's the point? But the Christians were, they were slaves. They were second-class citizens. They were called dimmi. And yet, they became competent. And because of their competence, and because of their hard work, and because of their trust in God, they became stellar figures of society that, that, that the Muslim ruling class had no choice but to promote because they wanted them, because they couldn't live without them. All of this goes back to the freedom that comes from living out the life God has called you to live. And that's the challenge I want to give you. So right now you might be going, you know what God, if I only wouldn't have, it's like the old Bugs Bunny. I love the Bugs Bunny cartoon where he pops his head up out of the ground and he looks at the map and he goes, if only I would have taken that left turn back at Albuquerque. Remember that? I love that part, right? And it's like, it's like sometimes I go, that's like the story of my life. If only I would have gone here instead of here. If only I would have done this instead of this. And I made this critical move that ruined everything. No, you didn't. God is sovereign, man. He's so powerful. He knows exactly where you've been and exactly what you've done. And you, there's nothing you did before you became a Christian and there's nothing you can do now that's outside of his ability to redeem. However, from this point on, you have the opportunity to say, you know what? I'm gonna live my life bound to Christ. I'm gonna live my life following his rules. And so my question for you is this. See, God needs to be the hero of your story. Is he? Or are you trying to be the hero of your own story? Because if you are, eventually you will fail. Eventually you will get to the end of yourself. And eventually you will go, what happened? And I know there's people in my life right now, and I know them well, and I'm going, man, I love you, but you are on a crash course of disaster, dude. Because you are not living as though God's writing your story. You're trying to write your own story and it's only a matter of time, man, before you go careening off the cliff. It's only a matter of time. You and I have to be people to say a couple things. First of all, where I am, yes, if you wanna get out 
um, in terms of if you want to move forward occupationally, if you want to seize more things, if you feel like your, your gifts and abilities aren't being used, then you go try and, and, and get what you feel like God wants you to have in terms of that, that sense of advancement and beca- make yourself more useful for the world, then go. Then get off your butt. Don't watch as much TV. All those things, right? Wake up a little bit earlier. Get after it. If you got confidence problems, talk to somebody. I, I, you know, all that stuff. But at the same time, some of us are in a place where we're like, no, that's not it. I just feel like I'm, I, this isn't what I hoped it would be. By the way, a lot of times it never is because we can only be happy when we're in a place where we're worshiping God and we find our joy in him. And that's what Paul's trying to say. Look, you could be the guy who, who's, who's the, the one who's free and doesn't have any slavery at all. It doesn't matter because you're still a slave to Jesus. You still have to follow his rules and you got to find your joy in that. If you're a slave, if you're in a place where you don't want to be and you're following some crazy boss that you don't even like, find your joy in the fact that Jesus is your real boss and you work for him. That's the journey of your life. That's what makes a great story. It's going to have pitfalls. It's going to have curveballs. It's never going to be a straight line, you guys. And that's okay. That's the great realization of our lives is we're not the main character. That God is. And let him be. So, fair enough? All right. Let's pray. With your heads bowed and eyes closed today, if you're here and... uh, you're saying, you know what? God hasn't really been writing my story, or at least I haven't acted like he has been, and he's certainly not the hero. I need to make him the hero of my story. If that's you today, then right where you are, you need to know that God has rescued you by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins. You can't change your past. You can't change it. All you can do is move forward, but God can redeem your past. And he does that when you come to a place of repentance. So right where you are, just tell him, you know what, God? I can't live for myself anymore. I can't do this anymore. I'm giving up control of my life. I'm handing it over to you. And I want Jesus to be the one who bears my sins and I'm gonna trust that he has forgiven me fully and completely. That's one category, people. You never put your faith in Christ ever. Put your faith in him now. The second category of people are those of us who maybe we are Christians but we're seriously questioning the outcome of our lives and we're questioning God's wisdom. Why are you doing that? Your story isn't over yet. You're still in the middle This is the fun part. This is the dramatic part. This is the part where no one gets up and goes get more popcorn because they want to see what happens next. So tell them, God, you know what? I'm reaffirming my trust in you right now. The story's getting scary. I feel like I'm running out of time. It's not what I thought it would be. But I'm reclaiming the fact that you are the hero. And so I'm letting you be. Tell him that. And be content in today. Be content with obeying. Be content with following and let that be the great epic journey. God, thank you for the fact that we can follow you and you take care of us. You know us. You've every page in the, of our story has been written in your book long before it's ever come to pass. And there's young people, old people, 
We got people, we got men and women, we got people of all different places and walks of life, but we all bleed the same blood and we all feel the same things. And we need you to be the hero of our lives. Thank you for the epic journey you've called us to of faith and obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.